It took me a while to see storytelling as integral to social justice, as opposed to seeing it as like two things I like that aren't connected. And so now a lot of my work really comes from uh, seeing and believing that storytelling is a really core way that we engage with social justice issues and something that you need in order to make change. You need to be able to listen to other people's stories, own your own stories, um, and all of the above. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broken the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome back, listeners. As always, your host, Steve Opolinik here, and I have a fantastic podcast for you today, episode 65 with Camp Equity. We are speaking with two members of the mainframe of Camp Equity. We're speaking to Alex and Mandy today, and our conversation was enlightening, transformational, as you'll see, at that I use that word many times many times in the actual podcast and just such a breath of fresh air to talk about the work that they have been doing and the future for camp equity and then what comes next in the podcast we talk a lot about anti-racism work and how it's an ever evolving transformational process and that the work is continuous it's not just checking off a few boxes here and there and then you're good to go So Mandy and Alex open up the conversation talking in depth about the work that they've done with Camp Equity. They also share that Camp Equity is closing, or at this point probably already closed, but they share the intentionality that went behind that and why that's super important when you're dealing with any type of business that does the work of anti-racism and service for others. They also share that Camp Equity is putting out a book. Now, the book originally was just a GoFundMe-sponsored event. I'm not sure at this point if the book will be available at other retailers or if you can order the book, but I am going to put Camp Equity's contact information in the show notes, the website for Camp Equity, and their socials, so you can check them out. Reach out if you have any questions, love the work they're doing, or want to see what comes next and talk about the book with them. We reference a couple books in the in the podcast, and I just want to let you know that in the show notes, there will be resources for those books. You know, I think if you listen to this podcast, if you love this podcast, check out all the resources in the show notes. I know a lot of times people skim through them, but I think this is going to be a continued aspect with Camp Equity of just putting people in touch with resources to continue the work and and kind of broaden their own perspectives and horizons. So without further ado, here's Alex and Mandy. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. Welcome back to the podcast. We have some amazing guests today. We have Alex and Mandy from Camp Equity, uh, an organization that is doing amazing things and has amazing things on the horizon. I've been lucky enough to interact with them on social media, donate to them, and they have a book that will be coming out, which I'm sure we'll get into, that I was also really excited to donate to and and be part of that fundraising uh, push to get that out there. And uh, listeners to the podcast have Heard us reference uh, this person many times, but also friend of the podcast, Lauren, 
who they also engage with and part of Camp Equity as well. So we're really excited to have you both on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, so before we get started, do you mind just individually, whoever wants to go first can go, um, maybe do a, a brief introduction of yourself and how you came to Camp Equity and maybe a, a quick pitch on what Camp Equity is, but then also why you were intrigued by it and what led you down that passionate road. I'll let Alex go first. <laughs> sure, I can get it started. Uh, so I'm Alex Latore. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the director of programs uh, for Camp Equity. Um, so, you know, it's it's so wonderful and exciting to, to hear you kind of just frame Camp Equity. Um, but I guess I will quickly mention what I'm sure we'll get to uh, soon enough. But uh, Camp Equity is actually in the process of winding down. And so this book is really the last project on the horizon. Um, and then we'll be closing, which is quite sad and can get a lot into, uh, you know, the structural issues that have kind of led to that decision. But um, before we get into that, let me lead with a little bit about myself. Um, so I am a queer Latina immigrant uh, educator person. Um, I arrived at Camp Equity quite early on in its story. Um, I actually met uh, Lauren Burke, friend of the podcast. Um, while interviewing for an entirely different job before she had even uh, founded Camp Equity. And we hit it off, uh, even though we were not able to kind of work together in that capacity. Um, that connection led me to uh, me being one of the first people she told about Camp Equity and I was able to support its pilot program um, as communications manager. And then when Camp Equity got the funding and go ahead to go full time. Um, I was the first staff member at it, which is, it was quite exciting. Um, my background um, comes in, in many forms, but primarily education and primarily theater. Um, so I w worked for an education department at a theater for three years. Um, and the way I always frame my work is talking about the, the power of storytelling and just what that's looked like for me in my life. I studied to be an English teacher. <laughs> So um, I was really drawn to the way people tell stories and the way people kind of digest stories, um, which fueled my passion for theater and kind of then led to my passion for social justice, which had always been there. But I think um, it took me a while to see storytelling as integral to social justice, um, as opposed to seeing it as like two things I like that aren't connected. Um, and so now a lot of my work, um, really comes from uh, seeing and believing that storytelling is uh, a really core way that we engage with social justice issues and um, something that you need in order to make change. You need to be able to listen to other people's stories, own your own stories um, and all of the above. So my work at Camp Equity has really been um, in helping design those programs and implement those programs and finding ways to center storytelling and all of that. So that's my, my little intro. I'll toss it to Mandy. So. I, I love it. I'm Mandy Bynum McLaughlin. Most people call me Mandy Bynum or Mandy. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I'm a cis hetero woman uh, living in the Bay Area. My career has been mostly in tech, uh, but I've been on nonprofit boards for some time. And I met Lauren through a women's entrepreneurial professional network. And I just loved her energy. And we started talking um, and she had, was telling me about this nonprofit she was starting called Camp Equity. And it was just so in line with all of my personal mission and values that I, she asked me to join the board. And I was, I was very happy to chairwoman that. Um, and in this year, um, the CEO had to resign. So I volunteered to, to help out and, and come on as interim CEO to see, to figure, help Camp Equity get to the next phase, whatever that might be. Um, and it's been really an amazing journey. I, I cannot um, underscore enough how important this work is that Lauren founded and that she and Alex have been carrying on the last year to bring social justice language that's approachable and fun to students who are between the ages of nine and 17. Um, and I've learned so much about how to communicate and what are all the things that I wish I had at their age. Um, so I'm really excited to talk more about it and share share what we've been doing. Fantastic. Thank you both for sharing that. Um, 
I, I did not know that camp equity was was on on that precipice of closing and I'm sure we'll definitely get into that so um, that's news to me but I, I'm excited to have both of you here anyways because I think the the mission is a lot stronger than any one entity anyways and so we can definitely carry on that that mission Alex I am gonna um, since you've been with camp equity since like very early on and and you know Lauren, was you were the first confidant that she went to with it. I'm wondering if you can give us a quick pitch um, about what Camp Equity is and, and uh, what programs that you, you were able to create. Yeah, of course. Um, so Lauren, along with Donnie and Prisma, they were our three co-founders. Um, so I was, I was a, the third call, if you will. Um, <laughs> but um, they you know, saw this need during the summer of 2020 um, where they were hearing so much from parents who did not know how to talk to their kids um, and engage with them around um, the, all of the protests that were occurring um, and just around this push um, for understanding your own privilege. Um, and I think parents were engaging with themselves in that and then not knowing what that meant for them as parents. Um, and the three of them, because of their work and their background were people that a lot of those parents were turning to. Uh, so they were all kind of experiencing that together and wondering, you know, what can we do um, in response to this need that we're seeing? Um, and that's a little bit of how Camp Equity was born. So the, our programs have been virtual the whole time because we were born during the pandemic. Um, they are about bringing kids into this virtual community that puts them in front of lived experience leaders. Um, so this has looked like a lot of nonprofit founders um, and a lot of people that are doing work in the communities with which they identify, right? Um, and so really, really um, wanting to bring or put the emphasis on that kind of leadership as the leadership that we want to support and uphold. And so, uh, kids would register for camp, which was created to function on a fully sliding scale basis. Um, so campers could basically pay whatever, you know, made the most sense for their families financially to register for the program. And then those funds were uh, rerouted directly into the organizations of these lived experience leaders that were coming in as um, instructors or guest speakers for camp. Um, so the original idea of Camp Equity was really about like, ah, there's so much change happening. Like, what do we even talk about first? Um, and that's that was what our pilot program is, what our current program, Camp 101 is, um, which we kind of refer to as the sample platter of social justice issues. Uh, it's a 12 week program um, that includes 10 lived experience leaders visiting our virtual classroom and each leader and each week focuses on a specific issue. So um, in the camp we're currently in, Next week, we're discussing racial justice. Last week, we discussed mental health. Uh, we've also talked you know, LGBTQ plus rights, immigration justice, environmental justice. Um, and so we're kind of giving the kids this sample platter of like, here's all these issues. Here's some basic things you need to know in order to engage with this issue. And really building the program from a place of hoping that by learning about all of these things, campers think about how they are intersectional and campers find themselves connecting to uh, one, two, or three of those issues more strongly and can then kind of use that knowledge to focus their own social justice interest. Um, the other large component of camp, I would say, has been um, our deep dive programs, where as opposed to the sample platter, um, we take one issue and look at it from all sorts of different perspectives. So in 2021, we ran a Celebrating Black Lives camp and a Power of Pride camp. Um, and both of those, um, again, highlighted, so the first uh, highlighted all Black leaders uh, making change in their communities from different perspectives. And then the second one highlighted all queer leaders um, working in their communities, you know, and, and looking at those things from a really intersectional place. Um, so that's really what it's been about. It's been about creating that virtual community and giving young people um, access to how the work is actually happening on the ground. Um, so it doesn't feel like capital S, social, capital J justice, um, that's very far away from them, um, but really brings it directly to them and allows them to connect to how these issues are actually playing out in their own communities or in communities like theirs. 
That's amazing. I mean, you know, so much to kind of unpack and everything that you said, and, you know, you did an awesome job just breaking it down and kind of getting to the heart of the programming and the need and, and how that was born. So I appreciate you taking that time to break that down with talking about the need that's out there and, and, you know, the age from, you know, not nine to 18, I think you said around that, that time period. Um, you know, I think when you talk about intersectionality and identity, I work with a lot of different adolescents and young kids. And I think this is inherently stuff that they struggle with, but don't feel comfortable coming and talking to people about, or even bringing the subject up because they just get inundated by, you know, family members or societal messages and, and things of that nature. And I've been very privileged to be able to sit with, with some of these young people and, and hold that space for them and have that conversation and redirect them to resources beyond, you know, my expertise and things of that nature. And I, I, I love that all of you were able to create Camp Equity to, to do that a little bit more proactively. I, I've gotten a lot of my clients, I'm a mental health therapist, so I get to sit and, and kind of process over mental health and identity things. And um, a lot of the people who come to me, it's, it's more of a okay, stuff has happened. Let's, let's kind of sit with that and process through it and see what we can to, do to move forward. But I love the idea of, of being proactive in that and, and kind of starting younger and, and making, you know, what some people in society say taboo topics more common and, and actually part of the discourse of everyday life. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm wondering, like, in the implementation of this, obviously, you know, Zoom life that we've had over the last two years can lead to fatigue and burnout. And, you know, there's all different kinds of things that that come up. Um, what were some of the hurdles that early on you all had to, to overcome to keep, you know, these, these adolescents and young children engaged in, in the conversation and, and make it, like Alex, you were saying, your, your background of uh, theater and engaging in more than just talk, how, how were you able to do that early on and what might uh, some of the hurdles have been? If I can take this one as well, since you're talking about earlier in the organization. Um, I will say I'm, a, I'm actually gonna turn your question on its head a little bit because I think our hurdles have been the more recent, right? The things that have led to the decision to close. I think some of the wonderful things that we had going for us at the beginning um, was a so much energy around uh, change <laughs> for these social justice issues. Um, we had people in a place in the pandemic where, um, you know, there was not a vaccine on the table yet. They were looking for connection any which way they could get it. Um, and one of the things that was being really, really felt um, at that point in the pandemic by kids and parents was that although many schools had, you know, are, were in the process or fumbling through virtual school, whatever that might look like, um, a lot of schools were not able to translate that work into their after school programs. You know, understandably, the priority was like, how do we get our instruction online? Um, but it meant there was this real need for what is my kid doing after school? What is my kid doing to continue to engage with the world, right? If they're not um, in their school play because my school play hasn't gone virtual, then what are they doing? Um, so we were really able to fill that gap. Um, and what those hurdles have looked like later in the organization um, and really the time that Mandy came on um, is, you know, one, a lot of Zoom fatigue, like you're saying, um, a lot of schools, you know, fortunately being able to go back to in-person instruction that allowing for sports and all sorts of other things to continue to take, um, you know, kind of the first slot in, in kids after school lives um, and it becoming less appealing to sit in front of a computer screen for 90 minutes, um, which I can totally relate to, you know? Um, and I think the other component that we have really, really seen, which I can let, you know, Mandy maybe talk a little bit more about is just apathy, a lot of white apathy um, and a lot of people thinking, cool, that happened in 2020 or early 2021. I donated, I did that first program. I checked, I read the book, I checked the box off. Um, 
And that engagement and desire to continue doing that work in a consistent way, um, falling off pretty rapidly. Um, so those, you know, those are some of the pieces that led to our decision to close. I don't want to oversimplify that choice. Um, but those were the hurdles that, you know, try as hard as we might. Um, you, I don't personally think you can force somebody into change. You can only provide them with the information around why the change is needed. You can only share those stories with them and hope that that activates them. Um, but you're not gonna get a lot out of someone who doesn't actually see the need for that change. And you're certainly not gonna let, uh, get a parent to sign their kid up for a program about that change if the parent themselves is struggling to engage with that. Yeah, and I'll I'll add here, there, there's a, a few things at play, I think Alex, said it quite well around that white apathy. And so there was a mix of white apathy. There was the Zoom fatigue and, and uh, students going back to school. And I think with that is in the time of, of the Panini, as I call it, and the last star we have is Omarion on tour. Um, hopefully he won't be on tour too much longer, is um, there it, I think when we were having, in the wake of George Floyd, there was a lot of need for what I like to call DEI entertainment. So like DEI box checking, um, bringing in all the speakers and having the hard hitting stuff and not really thinking about like, we're actual social activists. Like we're not taking this lightly. We're not doing this for entertainment. And so when that entertainment factor kind of dwindles a little bit, the the thought of putting your kids in in, <clears throat> into so actual social justice work doesn't seem as appealing because you're thinking like, well, we, we are, we are socially just and we're, we're doing the work and we forget that that is an ongoing journey. And so mixing that with white apathy and not really having that um, desire to continue the momentum, because a lot of, a lot of what this was, we were in service for both a white audience and for an audience of the global majority, which statistically is less able to pay for camp. And so because of the, the sliding scale options that we have for pay, like we were, we had expectations around those who, who experience white privilege to be contributing extra or differently than those with, with less access to, to money. Um, and so it, there was a lot of it that was disappointing around that. And at the same time, it was really important for us to actually wind down with integrity. We've created, and, and Alex and, and Lauren have created such a beautiful curriculum over the last 18 months that it, we weren't going to let it just like kind of disappear. And so creating this book was really important. And before we get there, I will say that, um, a lot of it was around our willingness and practice and saying no. As women, as people of color, we are not going to continue like butting our heads against this system that really doesn't want us to succeed. Well, we can go do this work in other places that's going to have just as much, if not more impact. It doesn't have to be necessarily through this vehicle. And this vehicle was, you know, so serendipitous for the time. It was really impactful. And there are things that that we'll see in our campers 10 years from now that like we will never have ever imagined that is because they they came to camp equity and I'm getting chills just thinking about it but I think it was it was really important for us to look at this as not a failure but also not as not a failure more so a a an ending and a new beginning at the same time I mean it sounds like the the way you're approaching it is more trans transformational than you know, like you were talking about winding down and just kind of going out with, with like, oh, okay, this is the end of this. It's more about, okay, this, this vehicle really served during this time. And as things adapt and transform, we too will transform and, and kind of look at different ways to get out there, which is why I'm really excited about the book. I know we keep hyping the book, but we'll get there in a couple of minutes. But, um, and, and I think what, what you're both talking about with white apathy, um, for people who may not know, can can one of you give a definition of what I, white apathy is, just so the listeners can kind of hear what that means? Yeah, um, 
there's so many examples of white apathy in the past um, with say affirmative action is a, is a good example. Affirmative action and civil rights in the 60s, there were these really powerful legislations that were created to increase equity and equal access for people of all different backgrounds, yet the legislation alone can't do that work. And so over time, when the legislation wasn't like front and center, there were a lot of different ways that people who didn't necessarily really actually care about the issues could either avoid doing the work to uphold that legislation or to you know, actually do anything around like learning their own history. So when we talk about white apathy, it's that that unwillingness to can to actually um, continue doing the work that the people of the global majority have to do every day because we're feeling harm. We we have to we have to have this activism to survive, and because a lot of uh, many white people don't have those barriers and are kind of blind to them, unless they're actively seeing them and actually seeking them out and actually actually self-correcting that works tends to go away very quickly over time right and i think that plays in exactly to what you both have have been talking about with over the period of 2020 and then 2021 people checking off these checkbox of oh i bought the ibram x candy book i i read through the history oh i you know i shared this with friends i joined this book group i mean Lauren reached out to me and she she did a book group on uh, me and my white supremacy, which is a fantastic read and and did this uh, weekly group meeting of sorts of answering the questions or daily group meeting of answering the questions mm-hmm. and holding account. She's still doing it. Yeah. And every every single time it, it comes up again, I you know, like spreading the word and getting out there, sending emails. I, I think that's really important because they touch upon all these different intricacies that you wouldn't think. And it challenges you, me being a a white cis, you know, straight male, um, don't think about, you know, going through each chapter and and kind of hearing these things and challenging yourself to be, have that perspective. There's an initial like, well, that's not me. I'm not that. But once you can kind of embrace that, it doesn't matter if you choose to be, or if you've been raised and you don't think this way, like this is true. And you have to search that out and pay attention to it and, and really take accountability and shift that narrative. Um, you know, that, like you're saying, is like, it's a continuous work. It's not just a, let me check these boxes off in this period of time so I can say, oh, I'm not racist. I did this. So, so I think, you know, it's, a, it's actually really beautiful to see the transformation of camp equity although sad, but to, to kind of go in this other direction and kind of keep that, that mission going and keep that going. Um, so I'm wondering if you can tell me like that, that transition in, into the book and into shifting that narrative and, and kind of like engaging people on that way. Um, Mandy, you talked about not going out in a way that, that wasn't supportive to the mission. What does that transformation kind of look like? Where, like we talked about the book briefly, we were going to get more into it, but what what else comes with that transformation for camp equity? I think it is our. It's up to us as as the 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 triangle who are who have shepherded this this organization to the next chapter. Um, the book is getting a lot more attention than we anticipated. It was really just meant to be a living legacy of what Camp Equity is. Um, And I think that that as being a a product of and a result of Camp Equity, I think that will continue to have a lot of impact. Um, Also, mind you, um, you know, Lauren is an amazing, amazing woman and the work that she does, no matter what she does, has immense impact immediately. She drove around in a van to the, through the United States working yeah. on immigration law and, and helping people get into the United States. Um, so anything she touches turns into a movement. And so for her, it's, it's, it's really about like, what is her next vehicle to be able to do that um, in a way that's healthy um, because I think w- with something like this, trying to trying to push it through when it's when the universe is telling us that we should be doing we should be doing this in a different way, um, is really important. And um, for myself, like coming from tech, being an investor, there are a lot of 
um, and, and having this really uh, amazing nonprofit experience there are a lot of things that I continue to bring to the venture space that haven't been seen before because people are really, really stuck in these small little bubbles yeah. and are only thinking about the same patterns. So it's, it's really important for me and it's my um, mission, I feel like purpose to continue to, to bring these conversations to a space that doesn't hear them very often and being unafraid to do so. Um, and, and for Alex, I, I won't speak for her. I, you know, she, uh, we are all ageless, but I will say that, that Alex is a little bit younger than we are. And, and she has so much experience, um, and has accomplished so very much compared to many people her age. And so for her, I mean, the world is, is her oyster after, after everything she's been able to do. Um, so I know that all three of us, I mean, uh, short answer is like all three of us will be, will be kicking butt in, in the next chapter and, and having this legacy of, of our social justice dictionary behind us is just going to give us more fuel or solar power. Yeah. That's amazing. I would agree with your sentiment on Lauren, but then in the bigger scope, I would say just working in that kind of field and doing the work that you all did in camp equity, it's, I keep saying transformational, but it is transformational in the sense of it, it bleeds into other aspects of life. It, it bleeds into just different ways of looking at things. And I think that's one of the most important things moving forward is, is developing that cognizance to pay attention to it. The listeners, you can see Alex's face when Mandy called, called her, everyone ageless, but the world is Alex's oyster. Her face was uh, very humorous. I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit on, on that same kind of conversational piece of, of that transformation from camp equity moving forward and what that looks like, what your hopes are for it. Sure. Um, I mean, the book has really been this vehicle for that transformation, I would say. Um, it, it's an idea we had, all, I don't know, nine months ago now, a, a while ago, actually, um, because we were developing materials for our programs that helped take these words like white apathy that we just explained or intersectionality or heteronormative, like taking those words and um, giving definitions that felt accessible to kids of all ages, but specifically our younger campers, you know, we go as young as third grade. So trying to explain those concepts to like third, fourth, fifth, sixth graders, um, we were seeing a response to that specific curriculum material that kind of made the light bulbs go off. Um, and when we were facing this decision of, you know, do we invest our energy in upping our enrollment in a new program and like where do we put our energy um we realized that you know going back to what mandy said about choosing to close with real intentionality um we went back to this book idea and realized like we can make this book happen if we aren't trying to plan another program um and what a beautiful legacy it would be to create this content um, as we proceed with a very intentional wind down uh, and kind of make this last program the best it can be. Um, and so, you know, my energy kind of in, in working on this book has like, that is where all of that transformational energy has been. Um, you know, in, in writing content, it's been thinking about the kids that are going to read this or reference it, thinking about um, parents that are going to probably also read it with their kids and, and learn with them alongside them. Um, another big component for me has been, um, you know, being an immigrant myself, um, English is my second language and it was also, it's also my parents' second language. And I spend a lot of time talking to them about these issues and they're like, we, there's just coming from a different culture, right? Like our ability to access these issues and use this language is so different. So I'm also like anyone who is English as a second language of any age can benefit from having this resource. Um, and so for me, it's really been about envisioning this very concrete thing um, that people will continue to be able to use that has only been possible because of the work that Camp Equity has done over the last year and a half. Um, as far as the world being my oyster, I'm a little bit less sure about that than Mandy is, but I think that's a <laughs> that's just a, a healthy dose of kind of like realism for me and 
and wanting to always uh, prepare for for the worst and then be just really thrilled when actually the best thing comes along. Um, and, and, you know, right now the book, like Mandy said, in terms of the interest it's generating and the excitement it's brought us, you know, our vision for it was very much like, let's do a Kickstarter campaign. Let's get this in the hands of uh, people that have engaged with Camp Equity and their loved ones. Um, and now that we've kind of closed off that Kickstarter campaign, uh, you know, we've had bookstores reach out and be like, but wait, can I buy it to have in my bookstore? And uh, so, you know, who knows where in the world that will lead, um, but I wouldn't put it past Lauren's energies um, or, or frankly, just like the universe energy choosing to um, create a space and give the funds for a project like this. Um, so if anyone, you know, knows a publisher that wants to give us an advance to make a real, real version of this book, like we're, we're grateful for that as well. Uh, but it really ultimately is about, you know, knowing that people can need to continue learning and that that work never stops. Um, and even like in the introduction to this book, I think we write like, you know, we're writing this in 2022, right? Like change is going to continue to happen. The language we use to engage with these issues is also going to continue to change. Um, but the important thing is that, you know, we, we are, we have those reference points and those touch points for learning and for uh, educating ourselves and, um, and that through having that language, we can, you know, then allow it to grow and use it to tell our own stories, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. And I will, I will add here. Um, and just before we get any further, let's just say what the book is. It's, it's I was just going to say that we're, we're at that point. <laughs> let's jump on it. Uh, so the title of the book is my social justice dictionary, a hundred plus words for young change makers. Um, and that's, yeah, that's what we're, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a yeah. little social justice dictionary and it's yeah. going to have a hundred plus words for young change makers. Yeah. And I will, I, I will say as I was a creative writing major, I wrote stories, both fiction and nonfiction all through college and, and all through my career. And the one thing I've always known is like, you probably always want to write a book by yourself as opposed to writing it with people. <laughs> Um, because it's really, really hard to write a book with people. That said, I, it has been such an honor to work with these two and all of the other contributors to this book, because sometimes when you, when you are doing this work, you forget that you're the only expert and like you, I think as, as social activists, we are always thinking about like, who has the right to knowledge who is right when it comes to what these terms mean. And just because we have a certain lived experience that is relevant to these terms, doesn't always mean that we're the best at explaining it. And so, you know, having um, many different eyes on terms like um, economic systems or capitalism um, or what is race and thinking about how each of us will kind of are, are attempting to explain these things. And then also thinking about like, okay, that's how we would explain it. But like, how would a nine-year-old interpret this? Like, and we were doing all of these filters to see like what kind of grade level we were writing at. Um, and I think that for me has been such an amazing journey because as someone who, who writes a lot myself, I'm always writing for a very, um, like, I don't care whether or not you can read it because I'm smart AF and like, I'm going to use yeah. big girl words. And so follow along and use a dictionary. But when you're thinking about, uh, kids, I mean, for me, um, I have read all of these and a lot of these up here, um, I'm looking, I'm pointing to my bookshelf behind me. There's uh, stamped from the beginning, which is like a 700 page book. It's Ibram Kendi's like one of his first ones. Um, and I just started reading stamped for kids. I'm like, shoot. First of all, I should have read this book first. Right. And second, like this makes so much sense. Like, and so all of us have been reading all of these books around social justice, around diversity, around all of the things that are aimed at, at people who are younger, because it, it really like stretches your brain and, and helps you be more creative in your writing in how to explain what race is to a nine-year-old. Right. Um, and so again, it's been, it's been really, really cool to be able to do that. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I, my, my copy of stamped broke in half because I was reading it too much and I, I bent the spine and pages were coming out, but I was able to find where to put them back. And I think he also has a, a board book for 
yeah anti-racist baby something of mm-hmm. that nature which i'm excited to pick up for the next baby that comes <laughs> into the household yeah. of anyway yeah. but you're you're right though i think it is very um so I, i'm actually in the midst of writing a kid's book on uh, mindfulness and one of the things that was really hard for me was like well i know how to explain these concepts in a therapy session and, and how to do these activities in a therapy session but how do they translate in a kid's book, how do you break it down? You're not getting stuck in that own mind of your own and kind of broadening it out by talking to more people and getting more information and breaking down those barriers. And I think that that's exactly what we need from the kind of books that y'all are creating and just books in general, because otherwise it's just stagnant and you only read, like I'm a huge fantasy geek too. And I can't tell you how many straight white male authors there are about fantasy that get all, all this praise and how much more there is to to that genre that no one pays attention to because they're always talking about game of thrones or you know uh, the hobbit or lord of the rings all of which are good but also nk jemison she has amazing books on the broken earth trilogy and and just really writes in a different style and has a mental health background and so I'm reading that. Well, I finished it a while ago, but I'm reading that and I'm like, oh, I can get that sense of, of that cultural mindset and how it, how it comes into her writing because her characters are so nuanced, but super developed, more so than half the characters in some of these other popular books. So that's amazing. Yeah, yeah and I, I will say that some of the magic of, of working on this book and having such a, a large team on it, um, you know, like Mandy said, it, it is all of those perspectives working together to find the right words to explain concepts like mental health, uh, among other things. And um, one of the things I've really enjoyed kind of in the perspectives I bring to this process is I'm, I'm then also reading this as an educator, right? So I'm both thinking about like, how can educators use this book? But I'm also thinking about how are we less so than thinking about, you know, how are we like simplifying this language to make it understandable? Because it's not really about, oh, let's use smaller words so kids understand it. Because kids are brilliant. Oh, yeah. um, it's about it's about breaking down the concept itself. Um, and then, you know, trusting that like their intelligence um, is going to connect those dots because we're doing the work of really breaking down the concept. Um, while still saying, no, no, we're going to use the word heteronormativity. We're not going to try to simplify that word. That's the word. Um, how can we break it down so that it you can engage with it uh, in an age-appropriate way? Yeah. Um, and so that, like, having my educator brain, like, it just lights up at some of the amazing stuff that Mandy, uh, Lauren, along with our other contributors have have written um, and, you know, now we're in this really exciting part of the process where a team of five sensitivity readers is, is reviewing everything again, because the, the seven of us that have been working on the book up until now, like, we're still not going to cover everything, right? And even after those five sensitivity readers read it, and our camper readers read it, like, we're still not going to cover anything, yeah. everything, sorry. Um, but, but, but getting all those perspectives and understanding that, like, that multitude of perspectives is also going to be consuming the book when it's completed um that's what we want to value in that process now you'll never hit that penultimate like this is it kind of thing you don't have to go beyond it and well we'll be trying yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) when i was working on my book i was doing the same thing and i was like this is like a hundred page children's book that's not going to be enjoyable (laughs) for someone to sit down to read and you have to break it apart and, and refine it and I can't tell you how many times my own daughter has just like outthought me at every turn and had, had uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, stuff that doesn't get represented the way it should. And I think that's awesome that, that you're not backing down from the actual terms, but you're just making it digestible so that young readers can kind of form their own uh, approach to it and understand it. So it's great. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I'm super excited that you all came on and we could talk more about Camp Equity and this transformation in the book. Eventually we got to it um, and <laughs> make it a, make it well known, but also kind of talk about, you know, that this is not stagnant work. This is not, a, I, I reached this level on anti-racism. I'm good to go. It's a continued 
approach uh, every single day to to kind of do the work and, and educate yourself and kind of move forward. I do have a couple questions for you both. And, you know, part of it is the closing of the podcast. And then part of it's just, I love seeing people's reactions to, <laughs> to the questions. And so uh, the first question will be, uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? And then the second question will be, what do you believe your true life superpower is? I can go. This is easy for me because I've, I've wanted this superpower ever since I could remember. <laughs> um, and that is teleportation. Nice. Um, I hate sitting in cars, driving cars. I just want to get to where I'm going. Um, and what I like about, I, I thought of teleportation, watching a show and this may age me called the tomorrow people. Yeah. Where they, ah, yeah. Okay. Steve. You, you got me. Where right, you can't can... see it, but I have a lot of white in the spirit over here. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, not only can they teleport, but it's like you you have to picture the place. And so you kind of have to have been there or known about it, which I think is so cool. And they can talk to each other um, without using their voices, which I think was really cool. So that show inspired me to be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out how to teleport from here to Paris and then come back for dinner. Um nice. And then I think my real life superhero power, my kid uh, who's six actually tells all of his friends that I'm a Jedi, which I reinforce and say, yes, that I am. Um, Because when I change the song in the car and I don't touch the screen, he's like, how did you do that? (laughs) And I say, it's my Jedi powers. I'm actually just up to the steering wheel. Uh, but I do think my, my real life superpowers is connecting people. Um, I can't tell you how many hours a week I spend on the phone with people I barely know um, and connect them with someone who can help them advance their career, who can help to um, just get them some more perspective on what it is that they're looking for. Um, and we talk a lot about our zodiacs. I'm an Aquarius, so I shine when, when other people shine. And so whenever there are I love using my creativity to, to help that happen for other people. That's amazing. Mindy, you took one of mine. Uh, you can share. Um, it's not only sure, defined, by the That's so true. That's so true. Well, I was also going to say teleportation, um, but I'll, you know, I'll bring my sign into this and, and you'll understand my reasoning uh, being a little different. So I'm a cancer. Um, Mandy and I talk about this a lot. Um, and, uh, and for me, I immediately thought of teleportation just because um, I, like I said, I'm an immigrant. I've moved around quite a bit in my life. And I'm always like, what if I could take where I currently live and then make it so Peru was like just a half hour drive away? Um, that would be my ideal situation. So um, I've always thought about it and just the how wonderful it would be to both um, be able to be around the chosen family that I've created for myself, um, in my community, but still be able to be uh, a step away or a moment away from my family, most of which is still in Peru. So, um, I, yeah, that's why that comes to mind. And then my, uh, superpower that I think I have in real life, which is also hundred percent related to my sign, um, is, and it's kind of like yours, I guess it's a little bit of mind reading. So not, not Jedi mind, like the way you described it, but a little bit of the Jedi mind trick. Um, this has been really fascinating in the last year and a half, because I thought most of my mind reading had to do with like physically being in the same space as other people. And then I realized I was also doing it via zoom and I was like, Whoa, my superpowers really work. Um, but I learned pretty early in my career, um, I would tell my supervisors, especially, and I would be like, listen, I know that I don't always need to know everything that's happening, but like, you should just know that I'm going to know that something's wrong before you want me to know that something's wrong. So just know that. <laughs> and that was like a legit conversation I had with uh, various of my first supervisors. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I am someone who identifies as like super empathetic and a highly sensitive person and all of those words. But um, I think my ability to read people um, is is something that I have really loved uh, learning to use to support those people. Um, And it's part of you know, why I was drawn to the kind of director of programs type role at Camp Equity, right? Because I would I can be 
using my own creativity and my own autonomy, but ultimately I'm also all about supporting like the CEO and COO, like it's a supportive role. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm excited to see where that uh, superpower gets me next, I guess. <laughs> It's amazing. Uh, I'm a Capricorn, but right on the cusp. And my wife constantly tells me I'm not grouchy enough to be a Capricorn because <laughs> I'm too too empathetic to people. So I, I'm not sure if I'm a real Capricorn or not because I was born on December 22nd. So it's like, oh, right I have on. to look up your chart, my friend. Yeah, I have, have to look up your chart. Out. <laughs> Mandy's about to do the whole chart for you. That would yeah, be an hour, hour though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can do it behind the scenes and I can right. give we'll an take it offline. Later. Yeah, definitely. Well, Thank you both. I'm, I'm really excited that I was able to get a hold of you and you were able to come out and, and kind of talk with us today and and talk about Camp Equity. And, and it seems like Camp Equity is, is this organization that was just built from each person that touched its perspective and, and their own passions in their own life, which allows it to to move and, and not stay stagnant and, and transform into many different ways. I'm also a huge Transformers fan. So that's probably where the transformational stuff kind of comes from. Um, and in talking to you both, it, it, it it's even solidified that more that it, it's this moving organization that's really made up by the people who, who touch it and volunteer and, and practice it. So I'm really excited to get the book. I'm really excited to see where y'all go with it and what the next steps are so again thank you for coming on and i appreciate the time thank you so much for having me. thank you thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast if you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast please outreach to us at info at the promethean project.org If you want to learn more about the Promethean Project, or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at theprometheanproject.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, like our posts on social media, on Instagram and on Facebook, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.